politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for life, liberty, property, everything just like it's 1776 all over again, except it's much worse. We got the transhumanism, we've got the digitization, and we don't have much of a movement. The one thing that I think we can learn from 1776 is... The revolution, both the revolution initially against the tyranny and then the agreement to formulate a new government was done through unity, collaboration. You don't need a majority, an irate, tireless minority could succeed, but you need a movement. You can't, individuals can't do it. The biggest thing I see we're up against, what I'm seeing through the speaker's fight, what led up to it, the budget fight... It, t- it ties into, to some extent, the presidential primary, but but not s- so much. But overall, we have more voices than ever with platforms elected, unelected, that recognize we're living through an existential crisis. We're living through terrible, demonic Western governments. I, I think there's a whole movement around that. Everyone recognizes that. What we lack is the unity and sense of purpose direction, what is it we want to do short-term, long-term? What are we aiming towards? And to me, ultimately, the most important thing right now is we need to find some way to get everyone on the same page or as many people as possible. I've said many times before, I would totally love to get together in a conference with a list of 100 you know, conservative leaders, Trump supporters, non-Trump supporters, whatever it is, that's not so much the point. And just recognize certain realities that we're facing the worst things ever on life, liberty, property, economy, security, culture, sovereignty, you name it. Federal, state, we have a uniparty, federal and red state. We're not doing, what we're doing is not working. Um, At the same time, despite everything being so unpopular, Democrats are still winning elections. What is our strategy? Do we have a national strategy? If we don't, do we have at least a red state strategy? What is it? I have a lot of different ideas I put forward, but we need to get together. Right now, there is so much division. So I want to first talk about it within the House and particularly Freedom Caucus, Freedom Caucus types. There is so much division that we can't even see, see our front toe at this point. And I think that needs to be solved. They need to get into a room and talk about what is their budget strategy, what is their speaker strategy, and the two are related. And through that, I want to give you a little bit of inside baseball on the speaker's fight, the way I see it, the different realms of outcomes. Uh, Again, politics is not a math. Five is more than four. It's not a science. It's an art. It's it's, it's three-dimensional. It's a lot more, and you're going to hear here different information you're not going to hear elsewhere. Um, I'll give you my perspective, and then we'll bring on Chip Roy is going to come back. I don't know what he's going to say yet. I have no idea where his mind's at, so I'll give you where my mind is at, and we'll see if if he aligns with it. But either way, we got to get on the same page. So we'll be talking about that one more day on the speaker's fight. Then I want to get back to medical freedom tomorrow. We have a lot on crime, state teams, and that's what I'm trying to do with our state teams, to just you know, get people that listen to this show, same mind, 
what could we do in my area, conaction.network. Now, we have a bunch of great sponsors today. We have a brand new one, The Wellness Company. I'm getting a lot of emails, especially with the winter coming. A lot of people want to know, where do I get ivermectin? Where do I get different things like that? And, you know, Seven Cells stopped doing it. So we now have a new one, a, a sponsor of the show, The Wellness Company. It was started by Dr. Peter McCullough. It's got a lot of doctors that you're familiar with. We, we have Dr. Makis on from Canada. He's their Canadian affiliate. And there's a lot there. Um, they do a lot of telehealth, people that are vaccine injured, people that are experiencing a lot of ailments. We can't trust the system. So it was Dr. McCullough's vision to start a parallel economy on healthcare, um, not just because, you know, the system is woke like other areas, but we're, we, it's life and death. I mean, that's what we learned. You can't get care. But what I want to plug today is they are giving out medical emergency kits. So people looking for ivermectin, antivirals, antibiotics, they have these kits at TWC, as in the wellness company, twc.health slash Daniel. twc.health slash Daniel. Grab your medical emergency kit today and then use promo code Daniel for 10% off. This is the way you take control of your own health step by step. Obviously, we're going to talk about that with the RSV shots coming up. And just exposing us to so many more respiratory viruses. Who knows what else they have in store. They will do it. They will unleash it. A lot of you want this on hand. So again, this is the best I could do for now. It's of, by, and for the very movement we've been promoting. Some of the very people. TWCHealth.com. No, sorry. TWC.health. Slash Daniel. TWC.health. Slash Daniel. Promo code Daniel for 10% off. So let's go through what is happening here. Right now, what you're seeing is a two-man race for a speaker, um, Jim Jordan versus Steve Scalise. Now, again, not everything is as clear-cut as you see it, and that's what I was trying to tell you yesterday. Obviously, I am not a fan of either of them. Certainly, Steve Scalise should be a non-starter. Um, it's the same status quo, except we... You know, McCarthy was more amendable to sharing power with us. It would, it would, in my view, be a step backwards. Um, certainly, don't want that. And then each one kind of climbs one rung on the leadership ladder. That's the same garbage they've been trying to do. On paper, it looks like this is a classic good versus evil fight. You have the original co-founder, first chairman emeritus of the Freedom Caucus, Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan is God in the MAGA world. He's God on conservative media. He's a relic for many years. Um, obviously I think he was always overrated and then I think Trump really changed him. Other things just institutionally changed him and on paper, of course, in every respect, he'd be better than Scalise, but sometimes you do have to look 3d chess and sometimes you can get even more. And that's what I warned about yesterday. You got to watch out that you don't toss an interception. You can't just look at a scorecard. Well, this guy's a 60 and this guy's a 90. Um, you got to see how. You know, one is going to distract, one is going to whatever. Now, look, if ultimately those are the choices, I, I respect if someone wants to say, look, and at least he he's of our movement to, you know, tries to uh, accommodate it. And, um, you know, I, I respect that. So at least, you know, you, it, it, Daniel, you're right. It could be an outcome. We can go negative. But, you know, let's go with the straight and narrow. It's better. I, I understand that. It's very logical. Um 
but you have to the Freedom Caucus needs to meet and come together and gain out three, four steps ahead. That this is what we never do. We're always a victim of what's in front of us. And so many times I could see a train wreck coming and we don't do anything about it. Here's what I see likely happening. Now, right now with Jordan running, there's no room for a guy like Chip or anyone else or Byron Donalds or whatever to run. It's just not going to happen. Um, you're going to get the entire conservative media, the entire MAGA orbit, and by the way, McCarthy's staff. And and Jordan, will, from what I hear, he would likely keep McCarthy's staff. This is the irony. <laughs> this is the irony. I mean, Matt Gates is supporting Jim Jordan. Um, he's, you know, let's get McCarthy's horrible. Jordan's, all of his staff is whipping for him. So it's a little bit funny here because Scalise on paper is the most similar to McCarthy in the status quo, which he certainly is. But Jordan does have McCarthy's staff all behind him. And, and that should kind of just raise a little bit of ire um, what, that, what, what that's about. I mean, some of it is personal. There's a little bit of a bad blood with, with Scalise um, dating back to 2018 and you know, McCarthy felt slighted by him that, that Scalise entertained running against him. Whatever. You know, you have a lot of that type of stuff going on. Cartel and cartel violence all the time. Um, so, look. Let me start off with the unlike. So, so as it is, there's two people. There's nothing we can do about it. So, Daniel, is that it? No. Not by a long shot. This is what I want you to think through. Um, remember, we have broken the paradigm that it used to be that whoever wins in conference among Republican members, you know, let's say the vote is 150 to 70, well, the loser concedes and, you know, everyone just nominates the winner on the floor. And even though, so, and, and it was just more like ceremonial, even though technically that's what makes you speaker, but it was ceremonial. So the same way you clinch majority leader, majority whip and conference chair and everything else at the conference vote within the party this too would would nominate you. We all rally behind. Obviously, our side we broke that mold, and for good reason. We started it during Boehner and and carried it through now. So the point is, all right, but you know, it only takes five people to block to join with the Democrats because all the Democrats will vote for Hakeem Jeffries as Speaker. Now, by the way, just to reiterate, that does not make Hakeem Jeffries Speaker. It just denies anyone a majority. So it keeps going on like we saw in January. I just want to make that clear. So it only takes five, and and you know between uh, Jordan and Scalise, uh, they're both going to get a significant amount of votes because, as I just said, Scalise is is likely the front runner, has the most institutional support, has the most relationships, um, but Jordan has the conservative media, the Trump people, um, and McCarthy's staff whipping for him. So that's where we are with that. So you're going to get significant amount. You know, no one's going to get less than 70. So, wow, you know, if the loser side is very um, upset, you can imagine that's not going to be the end of it. And they're going to be like, well, I'm not going to accept your person on the floor. So we're going to be deadlocked. And likely they won't take it to the floor for a vote. Um, I'm assuming that's the decision of the Speaker Pro Temp, which is Patrick McHenry. And you'll have this deadlock and he'll remain Speaker Pro Temp for as long as he had it. It's that deadlock that we need to be prepared for. Now, I want to go through 
each of the scenarios here, um, starting with the most unlikely scenario and then to the most likely scenario and, and, and what we need to be prepared for. But first, this segment is sponsored by our friends at Miracle Made. It is like a miracle, the sheets that they make. Um, I am someone, I, 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 I hate liberals and I hate heat. I cannot stand being hot. And there's nothing like being hot when you're sleeping. The Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics that make temperature-regulating bedding. So you sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. It, it is, I don't know how to describe it. You've got to try it out yourself. Uh, trymiracle.com slash um, code. Okay, trymiracle.com. I'm sorry. Ah, trymiracle.com slash conservative. I'm really bungling that today. Slash conservative. You'll get your miracle made bed sheets, but you'll also, they'll, they'll throw in, because they love throwing in gifts, a free three-piece towel set made with the same technology, and you'll save 40% off. So try miracle.com slash conservative to treat yourself. It's, again, self-cooling, for those of you who are always hot like me, self-cleaning. It it prevents 99.7% of bacterial. It's luxurious in terms of its comfort and quality, but the, the difference is it doesn't cost just hundreds upon hundreds of dollars like some of these others you'll hear some talk show hosts advertise for. They're, they're probably good products. They're just so much money. This is the best I've ever seen that's affordable. Again, trymiracle.com slash conservative. So um, let's start with the most unlikely scenario. The most unlikely scenario is that that Jordan does win the conference vote. Um, it, it's, it's possible. I'm, I'm telling you, I hear the Heritage Foundation is going to endorse. Every single one on the right is going to endorse. And again, it's not worth you guys, those of you who side with me, to fight with people on Twitter. It's not worth it because I don't think I don't think he's going to win anyway. I just want you guys to know that he is a, he is not so bright. He has kept on horrible staff on Judiciary Committee. That's why the Judiciary Oversight has been a disaster. He gutted and prevented the good guys from doing good stuff on weaponization that even Kevin McCarthy gave us a green light to do. That's not written anywhere publicly, but I, you could take that to the bank. You could also take it to the bank that almost all, not everyone, but almost all of the Freedom Caucus guys that you would like all believe that. Ironically, even though Jim is still the original founder of the Freedom Caucus, they've all moved away from him. Now, ultimately, they might vote for him against Scalise, and, and that you know makes sense on some level, but the reality is, the MAGA movement's going to go all in. Every one of my colleagues, Jim Jordan, because why not? On paper, he's much more conservative. He gives them the sound bites. He gives them the impeachment, but Biden, Hunter Biden, the this, we love Trump. As I noted, Jim Jordan is not like a Matt Gates. He is Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene are like Trump all the time, but they'll fight on vaccines, they'll fight on this and that. Jim is just a straight up conduit for the Trump talking point soap opera. In my view, Jim is the worst of all worlds. It's it's um the lowest common denominator of ultimately accommodating the establishment, but accommodating the Trump soap opera. And ironically, so the the there's there's three there's three elements. There's the conservatives, there's 
the mainstream part of the caucus, and then there's the Rhino caucus. The mainstream is going to be split. I mean, that's the thing. The most of the institutionalists want to go with Scalise, but the ones close with uh, uh, McCarthy's orbit, like like Garrett Graves, probably Patrick McHenry himself, might go with with Jordan. Conservatives, I don't think any of them would support Scalise over him. Definitely not publicly. Privately, a couple of them might game theory vote for him to get Scalise to win, which I want to get to a minute because that's going to be our opportunity um and then the rhinos are not going to vote for jim jordan every one of them a hundred percent is going to vote for scalise um they hate him they they're especially the ones from swing districts it's too much trump and and i agree in the sense that if you're not going to get the benefits like at least it's with matt gates and marjorie taylor green i don't think that's a way to win swing districts but you know they'll fight for our prerogatives jim jordan is really kind of just the straight trump whatever and i don't think that's good for us i i don't the worst thing we could wind up with is the lowest common denominator of the establishment and and just trump's personality that trump controls the institution they have no independence from him they need to start building an independent brand that could win elections but also fight for us on the current issues right now that's what they need to be doing so if jordan would win then there's nothing we can do i don't think the rhinos would i don't think they'd mount um a fight maybe they would but you know obviously Everyone's going to rally around him, and we'll have to make the best of it. And that's the thing. Look, at least if Jordan is speaker, then we can get a guy like Dan Bishop as the subcommittee chairman of weaponization and maybe hopefully get back to that unless Jordan would clamp down on that as speaker. Um, so that is that is good. And I think that's what we need to be – You know, we'll just have to you know, make the best of it, and that, that's what you got to do. I don't think it's going to happen. I, do, I, I The only thing that might be able to do it is if Trump himself endorses. But from what I've heard from people close to Trump, remember, Trump is not principled. Trump is the... Now, I think he has a decent relationship with Scalise. That's partly why he'd stay out. He's obviously closer with Jordan. Um, but I think that Jordan, you know, it, because he's still the underdog, Trump... Everything is about a scorecard. The guy has no balls, and he'll only endorse if he knows you're going to win. And that was always the problem. It was like, dude, we need you to win. So ironically, the Trump people are going to go all in for him. But it's funny. The MAGA people, I feel most likely, it's not impossible, they're going to get a taste of where they've, they themselves have failed. They're like, we have changed the party, MAGA, MAGA, Trump changed. And like, dude, you could say anything you want. This is a very closed, insular election. You could have every single conservative talk show host, and you will, pushing Jordan, savaging Scalise. At the end of the day, it's a secret ballot among a handful, you know, 221 members. Okay, they're going to do what they want. And we've seen that all the time. And we, we, we had unanimous conservative support um, for various people in the past, and the establishment would win like, you know, back when two, they had 240 seats, they'd win like 200 to 40 or something, or sometimes even more. Now, in this case, Jordan, like I told you, for several reasons, he will, he, it will it's going to be a race. I still believe that the likely scenario is Scalise wins, and you, you know, let's just call it roughly 130 to 90, 
Okay, let's let's put it around that. Let let's just say that, you know, give or take. Uh, so now I think the best scenario for us is, and this is why I'm not gonna publicly dump on Jordan that much. The right puts it all in, and still Scalise wins, and they're ticked off. This way, we have it dragged out more. This way, we then get, it's a deadlock. This is where the Freedom Caucus needs to game out ahead of time, whether it's Chip, whether it's Byron Donalds, whether it's someone who's not in the Freedom Caucus, but maybe they could control, but would be neither of them. Not a Trumpy, not a subverter, not a rhino, but someone that would, a guy like Kevin Hearn, or maybe it would be taking the whip, uh, Tom Emmer, who is a rhino, but seems to have a lot of goodwill with conservatives and works with them. Maybe, whatever, we need to get on the same page. We need to game out, what are you going to do? Because there are two pitfalls I want to warn you about as what's step two for the likely step one. Again, Jordan wins, I think he'll, he'll get it. If it's the other way around that Jordan has a strong showing, but Scalise wins, the right is going to go berserk. And, and I want to use that to our benefit. So there's two things that I want to avoid, okay? Um, one thing I'm concerned about is that Matt Gates said on Newsmax, I know this, if it's Speaker Jordan or Speaker Steve Scalise, there will be very few conservatives in the country who don't see that as a monumental upgrade over Speaker McCarthy. Well, um, sorry, Matt, but I'm one of those conservatives, and I think we could all agree Scalise definitely would not be an upgrade, and, and I think it would go backwards for several institutional reasons. It would go backwards, okay? So... I understand why he's saying this, but Matt Gates basically is acting like a thief in the night where he did something very bold and everyone's going to blame him for breaking it. He wants, look, let's just have the vote. He wants to declare victory. All right, I, the pressure's getting, I want to get out of here. Just, just, all right, declare victory. But I understand that because, and, and, and I in the past felt that way during speaker's voice. Look, let's just show that we have the clout to knock out people. We might swap it out with another rhino, but it's worth it for now. But at this point, no. We disagreed with Matt Gates precisely because we felt we could get someone worse. We felt we had a better avenue to fighting on the budget bill and a better avenue to potentially getting McCarthy out with more support. He went a different direction. Fine, uh, Matt. I appreciate it. We back you. But then we have to make sure we get a better outcome. Once you're going to do that, we're going to have to do surgery. And if it takes a few more days, it takes a few more days. I don't want him because he has his own objective. Because if he does that, that really is giving credence to his opponents that say it's all personal against McCarthy, which it never should be. Because McCarthy is one of many, 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 many people who don't share our values. The problem's not McCarthy. It's what he represents. And if anything, he was willing to share more power than a guy like Scalise probably would. You know, even if we disagree on Jordan, everyone would agree Scalise is a problem. And that cannot be done. So, no. I don't want a quick resolution. Like, okay, like, you know, have Gates try to convince people on the right to just stand down. Scalise will be better. You know, let's just accept it. Um, and frankly, I, th I think the movement will be hopping mad if Jordan is defeating, defeated. Then the next thing similarly we have to watch out with is that they don't cut a deal 
that Scalise becomes speaker and Jordan majority leader. Okay, that's the worst outcome of all. And the reason why that would be very, um, I, I could see them doing that because that way you don't bump anyone because speakers are already vacant, but nothing else is. So if Scalise moves up, it you just rather than moving up some of the people like Emmer or Rothels, Cheller or whatever from Pennsylvania, um, however you pronounce his name, or Elise Stefanik, you would just have Jordan as the second place finisher for speaker come in as majority leader. Everyone else stays the same. They would love that. That is the worst. You get the lowest common denominator of Trumpism, but the non-MTG, like Matt Gates version of it, and the establishment, where ultimately the establishment would control, we'd have less power, and Jordan would just be kind of like, rah, 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 get to like, oh, Trump is, Hunter Biden, and the same garbage we've, we've been doing the last nine months. So I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that. Um that cannot be. We need to come in with what, what we the vision that we need is that it is a vision where we have the budget fight in a way that we could all agree we're gonna we have confidence leadership will stand behind it. We need the sorts of hearings and policy work that's gonna drive debate on popular important issues. And then obviously hold hold the line on must-pass bills. Who is the right person for that? It's yet to be determined. This is uncharted waters. But I think at that point we need to come in with someone like, like a Chip. Um, because ironically, I'm telling you, Chip is much more intrepidly conservative than Jim Jordan. But he would actually have more respect from, from the rhinos than, than Jordan does. Because it's not... Trumpism. I want to just give you one more dynamic, one more angle to where, where where I'm coming from. I talked about this guy Jim Banks, who was an up and coming leader in the House, not a formal position after he used to be RSC chair. Now he's going to walk into a Senate seat in Indiana. He's easily favored in the primary. In general, he's going to win it. Um, he came out and he he preemptively endorsed. Elise Stefanik, who's the current conference chair, which is the number four, to be majority leader number two, as opposed to, because the assumption is Scalise moves up, and then Emmer, who's number three, the majority whip, wants to be speaker. Now, also the Trump people, and this is reported publicly, are whipping for, they want Scalise and they want Emmer gone. Now, let me, let me go back to you. Let me explain how politics is an art, not a myth. Jim Banks on paper, he comes on conservative shows. He says the talking points. He is all in. He has a much more conservative voting record, but he is a snake. He is subversive, um, even worse than Jordan and Tucker Carlson's son who works for him, by the way. There's a little bit of that going on there. Very close to the movement. He is he is a big, big problem. I'm just going to give you a little inside baseball. The only close race we've ever had recently in leadership was for Whip. It was Tom Emmer versus Jim Banks. Emmer slightly defeated Banks because Emmer had all the rhino support. But dirty little secret, most of the Freedom Caucus people voted for Emmer. 
And Ember had gratitude. It was a smart move. Ember, two things about Ember. Ember is a total gay marriage, main street partnership to the left of leadership ideologically. But two things about him. Number one is he doesn't like Trump. Now, to me, that, that that's neither a criterion nor anything, but just hear me out in a minute. He's at least an independent thinker. And he, he has dutifully carried out all the whipping and whipped his own rhinos to support all of our initiatives, despite the fact that he himself would never have wanted to do that. So that is why you're going to see even like people like Andy Biggs, so you, you, don't, you don't get more right wing than him, float a guy like Tom Emmer. You know, I'd rather us push a guy like who's one of our own, but there is that it's a strategic play. Okay, I'd rather him than a Jim Banks, even though on paper he'd have a much lower scorecard voting record personally. Okay, at least from previous Congresses. So we need to watch out for this, both in terms of the speaker's fight, but also if we have a fight for majority leader. And and, and normally I don't go this much into the weeds on the palace intrigue. It's not worth it. But there's some an important lesson to bring out. Now, you can understand on paper why the Trump movement and the fake conservative movement would support Jim Banks over Tom Emmer because on paper he's much more conservative. And I, under, I, I respect it. I understand it. You know, a little bit similar but not exactly the same as with um, Scalise and, and Jordan. I, I, I get it. You know, the, the, the 3D chess, the art of politics is lost on these people. Um, they don't even understand it, don't know it. I, I, I get it. I get it. But then there's a next level, which is Elise Stefanik versus Tom Emmer. Now, they're cut from the same cloth. They are both members of the Republican Main Street um, Partnership. I think that's what it's called. That's like the Rhino Freedom Caucus. Okay, the guys that are like working with the Democrats, the guys that are all very much, they're not into abortion and, and, you know, social values, those type of guys. A lot of them, but not all, appallingly too many from strong red districts, but a lot of them from swing districts. Now, a lot of them hate Trump because, you know, agree or disagree, they view him as toxic for their ability to get reelected in those districts. And he definitely is toxic in those districts, which is why I don't think he can win a national election. But that, that is what it is. Um, so most people in that conference, for their own reasons, are like Tom Emmer in that they don't support Trump and they've said things about Trump. Elise Stefanik, and I don't want to steal someone's line. There was someone on Twitter, Max something, had this line. Elise Stefanik is someone who is a rhino from the pits of hell. Right? She also voted for gay marriage, just like Tom Emmer. Same thing. Same voting record. Except she prays facing Mar-a-Lago five times a day. That's the difference. And this is how pathetic this has become. Jim Banks... Tom, uh, 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 Elise Stefanik, Jim Jordan. Notice the way the Trump people are going. They want the House Republican conference to be a perfect conduit for Trump. And again, I want to be clear. I am all in support for, like, you want to do a Byron Donalds? Byron Donalds is bashing DeSantis and is supporting Trump. I'd rather chip, but I, I get that. 
I get someone like a Marjorie Taylor Greene and a Matt Gates, although they can never obviously be speaker. But again, someone that is very supportive of Trump, but they will fight for our prerogatives, even if it's not a Trump priority or even if Trump is on the other side. And I do and I will always respect them for that point. But then you have the Elise, Elise Stefanik represents where Trump is taking us. The lowest common denominator of Trump. So it's Trump's personality. So you have the liability electorally of pimping him as a person, the distractions, the Biden versus Trump tit for tat, soap opera focus, but they suck on our issues. And, it, and what so what they want is Jordan as speaker and they want, you know, Elise Stefanik as, as, as leader. Now, I guess if Jordan became leader, I, I'm assuming Scalise might stay as, as majority leader then. So maybe you wouldn't have that vacancy. You wouldn't have that fight. I, I don't know. But it's more likely Scalise will move up. So A, we need a strategy for blocking him. And B, we need to deal with majority leader. Um, you know, again, I am all for someone who is a big Trumpy, but they'll fight for our issues. But if you but between people that are rhinos, I'd actually rather a non-Trumpy. Because then we could actually do be a little bit independent. The worst is if you're a like an Elise Stefanik Lindsey Graham type. No, no, I'm sorry. That is the worst. It's the worst policy-wise, it's the worst electorally. So that that's kind of a half an hour presentation of this. I know there's a lot going on here. Um, and the other thing just about Tom Emmer is I think he, again, it's not just that he's not with Trump, he's more independent minded, but to, to his credit, he has really worked with conservatives, whereas Elise Stefanik would not. And it's not just that Elise Stefanik doesn't work with conservatives. She has endorsed, she ran a candidate against Thomas Massey. She is, she has an active agenda. You ever hear her talk about identity politics and and the intersectionality olympics we have the first woman gay like she she has this agenda to recruit these type of candy she is awful she is a cancer tom emmer is kind of like a quiet guy just does his thing works hard doesn't share her values but but elise is at least as bad on that but she has an agenda she's like she's the embodiment of the hell we are facing down if we don't if we don't um change things and also tom i gotta give the guy credit i i I detest his voting record but in this congress he really in a narrow majority when conservatives demanded mccarthy get certain things in bills that rhinos didn't like he got them on board he got the rhinos on board and dutifully whipped it and 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 i'm just going to tell you a lot of these guys appreciate it a lot of these guys appreciate it our best guys, that is what we need. So now I want to bring this conversation a step ahead to our friend Chip Roy. So folks, our interview segment today is sponsored by another great sponsor today, Patriot Academy. It's that time of year again, okay? And actually very apropos for our next guest, it's in his district, Patriot Academy's new constitutional defense course on their campus located in beautiful Texas Hill Country. What do we do? Four days 
worth of defensive handgun training with members of this audience and yours truly. Uh, there's several courses. You go to patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. But I will be at the December 18th one. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'm coming in on Sunday. I made my plane ticket, everything locked and loaded. You got two and a half months. Um, so it's a week before Christmas. Now, you might think, oh, my gosh, you're going to be on the range. It's so cold. It could get cold, but it's been really hot in Texas. So I think it's uh, it's a relief. It's a great time of year to do it, much better than doing it in the summer. Marksmanship, uh, awareness, safety awareness, how to draw from a holster and shoot accurately, two to the chest, one to the head, clearing malfunctions. There's nothing like it, and they've gotten even better. So those of you who went – um, I'm going to be reaching out to you guys, those of you who were with me back in the front site days. Um, the course has actually gotten even better, and they've implemented some ideas from the second level course of uh, advanced tactics where you're moving and shooting. So don't feel like you're not going to get anything out of it. First of all, I mean, you could take this three times again and still not really even pass the course. It's 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 a tough test. There's a lot to learn. I learn every time. But at the same time, if you're a first-timer, you know, don't feel like this is going to be above you. They start from the beginning. Uh, we could be like conservatives on every issue. Talk about it, but don't live the life of a conservative. Same thing, oh, I love the Second Amendment, but I don't know how to draw from a holster. I don't know how to win a gunfight, which, believe me, uh, increasingly, uh, we haven't gotten to some of these crime stories lately. But, yeah, it's it's bad. PatriotAcademy.com slash Daniel. And we could unite and meet and strategize, and that's what we need. And... Speaking of our next guest from that very district, Chip Roy is back with us to talk about how we unite, what's the plan forward. Hey, Chip, what a time to be alive. You know, just living the dream here, Daniel, uh, sitting here still in the swamp. Unlike most of my colleagues, I didn't go home because, uh, to your point about uniting, we've got to keep uh, marching forward. I mean, you, you don't stop. And, uh, you know, we had some disagreements last week, and, and uh, here we sit, and I think it's now important for us to get a speaker. Uh, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a minute, and uh, unite and march forward for the betterment of the country. So the biggest point I've been talking about today that I feel is a problem, I want to give a sports analogy, kind of like baseball. I see three layers here. You know, you got to win the division, then the conference, um, and then ultimately you got to win, you know, the World Series. And in this case... You know, you got two rounds of playoffs before the World Series, which is the Democrats, the Senate, which obviously includes both Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer. But in order to get there, you need to win the playoffs. You need to win over the conference. But in order to get there, you got to win your division. And, and this is what's bothering me. I, you know, a lot of my colleagues are lamenting, oh, there's so much like, oh, this it's too chaotic and messy. I don't give a darn about that because if we can't do anything, if we can't find the budget, there's nothing to lose. But what I am disturbed about is within the few dozen that most of my audience would appreciate, I, I talk to people and I see so many personal divisions. You know, It gets even personal, strategic divisions. Everyone is all over the place. No one knows what to do. How do you guys get the Freedom Caucus together? And try to get some sort of coherent strategy, you know, on both the speakers fighting the budget. So this is one of the key things we're working through and wrestling with. Um, and and look, I'm a uh, open uh, kind of book uh, for the people that I represent in the conservative movement across the country. 
Um, I mean, when it's appropriate, right? Not divulging private conversations, but I'm an open book about the sort of the state of affairs. Um, I believe that we need to uh, focus right now, for example, on getting a speaker. We've got to have a strong speaker. Obviously, Jim Jordan is running and he's a great friend and a, you know, uh, founder of the Freedom Caucus and, um, you know, uh, chairman of the Judiciary Committee that I serve on and all of the things we know about Jim. Um, we've got other candidates we're kind of talking to and listening to. You know, I haven't publicly supported anybody despite my predisposition of support for someone like Jim. Sure. Um, because I think I have an obligation to listen and to figure out, like, what are we going to do to get us all united? We've got to get to 218 votes behind a speaker. We've got to do that early next week, and we got to start moving appropriations bills. we got to figure out how we're going to handle a spending fight. we got to handle that spending fight in a way that will achieve the ultimate objective of lowering spending and checking the administration, and we've got to figure out that spending fight in the context of Ukraine, which most of us, most of us conservatives are tired of even giving a single dollar to, uh, but we know how this town works. So are we going to manage that to a smaller number? Um, and how do we do that in the context of needing to secure the border in addition to myriad other issues we need to deal with? All of this matters. And I'll tell you the fundamental problem, I've been saying it ad nauseum since July, is that conservatives have lacked focus on picking a fight to win. And some of that is not entirely their fault yep. because we are in an existential fight on multiple fronts. Sure. And each each conservative has a right as an elected member of Congress to, you know, have a preference in which fight they think is the most important. Yep. We don't have a general. You, you, know, you, you can have a strong leader, a strong Freedom Caucus chairman. You can have a strong speaker. But we're all independent, you know, contractors, <laughs> if you will. Like, we, we, we work for our bosses in the state. Yep. We come here and we represent. Nobody tells me what to do. 750,000 people tell me what to do collectively. And so my boss is that. My boss is that combined with the Constitution and my duty. So if I think border is number one as a Texan, and I've got a colleague who thinks DOJ weaponization is number one, and I think DOJ weaponization is really important, like a number two, and they think border is number two, and we both think Ukraine's important, and overall we need to deal with spending, how are we ranking those? That is part of the issue we've been dealing with. And this is all relevant to your point about unity. It is literally while I'm still in Washington right now, as we talk about the speaker, trying to get everybody unified. And, you know, it is what it is. You're watching the sausage getting made. The good news is conservatives are driving the response and the narrative to what we need to do against Biden. And that's a good thing, even as things unfolded this last week in a kind of uh, very open and public way. No, good. I, I think that's people will, will be comforted to hear that because I, I think part of how we got here is there was a lack of unanimity of opinion. And and it's nobody's fault. We're being crushed on so many different fronts. But at the end of the day, we have to to me, I, I would say in a speaker's fight, the most important thing is it's not the 72 hour rule. It's not the regular order as an end to itself. We've used those talking points. They were meaningful. They have their value at, in the right place. But now we're in a point where it boils down to one thing. There's a, several things that Congress could do, but they all become nearly meaningless if you don't fight on the must pass budget bills. And we need a speaker who's willing to draw a line on some of the issues some way 
that we fear the future of our civilization more than we fear a temporary lapse in in federal appropriations, right? Isn't isn't that ultimately the one unifying point? So, yes, but but let me give you a caveat there. Let's go back and rewind a week. Even this morning, I'm having a debate about this very conversation with some of my conservative colleagues about what we talked about last week. My position is I cannot support a so-called clean CR. That is Washington speak for the continuation of existing spending levels, because I'm not going to vote for continuation of the spending levels and the funding of Alejandro Mayorkas, open borders, damaging Texas, Merrick Garland's weaponized DOJ, et cetera, et cetera. So there eliminate the option one, a so-called clean CR. My position was and remains, we have an obligation to message to the American people what we think we ought to do while we move appropriations bills. Because of what we've done here with the speaker, the 45-day clock is getting shorter. We're not going to get appropriations bills completed through the Senate and signed and dealt with and conferenced, if ever. We're certainly not going to do it by November 15th. So option two for me is we should send over a cut, a, a extension of funding with a massive cut along with border security and tell the Senate, here's what we demand. Then you can have a message and force the debate while you're moving appropriations bills and stick it over there. That's option two. Option three is get the appropriations bills passed. But like I said, we, that's going to take time beyond November 15th. Yep. Option four is you just end up in a shutdown and you haven't messaged. So my question for my colleagues is with conservative colleagues, which option do you want to choose? I've been public. I want option two. I want to send a strong message that I'm happy to fund the government if it's yes. cutting it. Yes. Not funding at the levels and, and it's forcing a question on border security. That's my position. Um, in the absence of that, we have some debate and disagreement. So that's what we're trying to work through. And that's what spilled out a week ago. You know, I, I, it's funny, and, and my whole point is to get unity, but I, I understand what you're trying to do, and I think part of the position before that was like, no appropes ever, no, 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 was because they they blamed McCarthy for delaying it and not getting it through, so we're not going to give you any rope. Fine, so you got rid of McCarthy, but now it's a reset. I mean, you did what you did, so now it's nobody's fault. I mean, you can't blame Patrick McHenry, Speaker Pro Temp, as uh, you know, not getting the pro spills. Now we're starting new. I mean, we have the four that were in the hopper, so you need eight more. Well, and, and by the way, Daniel, it's important for the listening audience to know Patrick cannot move the appropriations bills under the rules. Patrick is literally a figurehead essentially he can be there for emergency purposes like you know if, if we had a this is a you know uh continuity of government thing um but he he under our interpretation of the rules he does not have the power to move bills on the floor so so okay chip so so because this is going to negate something i said earlier but i understand it and look honestly this is probably why you and i didn't feel like this was the best timing for this 
But the problem is I see two very important goals are running into headwinds. On the one hand, we got to win the budget fight. And the best way of winning it is to expeditiously pass the best sorts of uh, probes bills the quickest we can, stand behind them and say, hey, buddy, which vision of government do you want? And we're going to message that. Okay. But then the problem is that's going to put pressure to just accept whatever we have as speaker. And I disagree with the notion that whatever comes out of conference will necessarily be better than what we had before. We could and should be able to get better, but not necessarily. And my fear is if we get more of a status quo type of guy that, let's say, wins 130 to 90 in a conference, then the pressure will be on, got to do it, got to do it. But then then what was the point? So, so therein lies all of the conversations we're having as we speak while mm. trying to look, look, the Speaker of the House of Representatives in the United States of America is third in line, well, second in line to the presidency, right? The president, the vice president, the Speaker of the House. I don't know if the Speaker of the House pro temp as appointed actually qualifies for that. Frankly, that's a constitutional question I've not wrestled with. My point is, this is actually a really important thing. <laughs> so we need to actually get this sorted out really frigging quick. Mm. And we need a speaker and we need to unite behind the speaker and we need to march forward. What I'm telling you is and what I think you're agreeing with, or at least I think so is all of the issues that were still a question a week ago remain a question today. Yeah. All of the questions I started to outline, Right. How are we going to handle the funding of government? How are we going to handle making decisions? Our Democratic colleagues have no interest in working with us to do anything at all besides maintain the status quo, continuation of the, of the existing Democratic priorities and policies, and supporting and not checking President Biden. That's it. Nothing else. They wanted to move the country to the left. They're happy to see Biden do what he's doing. There's not one member of the Democratic House, maybe one in the Senate, if you give Manchin a little credence on one day or the next on some issues, but not many, that have any interest in hip checking the president. So that leaves us with having to carry all of that weight with 221 people. So therein lies the situation we face. This, again, your whole conversation, you asked me to talk about unity. That's why I'm dwelling on this point. We're trying to unify. We're very unified about what we overall want to accomplish. But the tactics on how to get there is where there's some disagreements. And that's going to be an important consideration for whomever is, uh, I'm not going to say lucky enough. I'm going to maybe (laughs) say whatever, whomever is ultimately the next speaker. No, that's 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 the thing. And I think we have to make it very clear. It's not about allegiances or personalities. At the end of the day, who will be the best conduit for the best outcome? To me, the budget fight was always more important than who is speaker. And I think I know you guys agree with that. I I just have one final question as you guys consider this and you hear debates in a forum on candidates. Is there anything innovative that you think needs to be done at a leadership structure that will help drive narrative? So, so you know, we don't have a president. Democrats control have a president. Um, I mean, Trump is the most notorious Republican uh, figure. But 
we need the biggest thing nowadays is as you well know everything is a messaging war okay everything ultimately is a messaging war what what's the ultimate goal of a, of a budget brinkmanship it's that we stand behind our position and batter them into submission on what they're doing on inflation, what they're doing on quality of life, what they're doing with the border invasion and all that stuff. So you need a messaging apparatus. Is there more that the House as an institution, the House majority could be doing to command the cameras and attention on this? Of course. Um, This is something that I believe that, for example, I think a Speaker Jordan would fully get Um, I think that there would be uh, the ability for us to have a significantly stronger message. Um, But, but again, you got it. You got to set up the fight. So for me, I would, I would set up something in the zip code of what we tried to set up almost three weeks ago now, two and a half weeks ago with the basically cutting spending, even just to the, uh, so-called FRA debt deal levels, which frankly is only a 1% across the board cut, 8% to the non-defense, non-veterans, right? Because veterans and defense is so high. So an 8% cut with a strong border security package, because then you take the leverage, you're cutting spending in a meaningful way in the areas where we mostly want to cut it, right? You are forcing the question on the border, which you and I both recognize as existential. Ukraine is not a part of that. It's off the table, right? Because you're not talking about it there. So that's a strong message that we could trumpet over and over and over again. But even today, I've got a large block of, of, of my colleagues who think, no, I'm appropriations only. I'm saying, okay, so to be clear, your position is we will shut down the government until the appropriations process is complete. I don't believe that's tenable because of the timetable for moving the appropriations bills and negotiating with well, the Senate. Well, Chip, I, I agree with you, but let me just say a finer point. I mean, first of all, it's a much better message to message a shutdown behind we funded the good, we didn't fund the bad, and and intermittently we're continuing to finish up over the next few weeks the appropriate Correct. bills. I think that's a stronger message because ultimately the goal is not a government shutdown. The goal is to win the fight, whether there is a shutdown, for how long, doesn't matter. We shouldn't act like we care about it. We should act like we care more about the future than we do a government shutdown, but that's a goal. But if my problem with, my, with, with your colleagues that are mutual friends of both of ours is that it's more than just that it's weaker messaging. It's we we already learned this. You don't get a shutdown because at the end of the day, and this is another thing you guys got to unify behind. Whatever you guys gain out, you have to factor in the fact that you are a minority of the majority, very small minority, and you have a lot of moderates and whatever's there going on there that care more about Ukraine than anything than than they're bothered by anything else. And the question is, you have to deal with their sensibilities. So my concern is, they could say whatever they want that, oh, I'm never going to agree to anything that has the word CR in it. But the bottom line is, um, if you do that, uh, Patrick McHenry will just do the same. They'll go with the Democrats and and make sure they get a CR that has nothing in it. And we don't have a shutdown. We don't have a policy fight and we keep doing it. I'll give you the last word. Well, I think that, that what you just articulated, I mean, we, we, have, uh, we, we see it unfold all the time. So take the shutdown question. 
I would shut down the government over the issue of border. Okay. Um, I, I would have lots of fights over lots of different things, but that one for me right now is so existential. I would force the Democrats to own that one. And I think you could survive it. And frankly, I think we had some moderate members of our conference who were willing to go down that road because of how bad the border situation is. Now, there may be a different play call. I'm just telling you what I would do. Yeah. And if, if, but I think the play call for the likely speaker, whoever it is, will be something like a clean CR for a period of time, for like a year or whatever, so that the 1% Massey, uh, you know, auto CR cut, which a whole lot of members had that, that thought and idea, it just ended up being his amendment, was that would get into, a, into effect, right? Well, the problem with that is you send us down the road of a 1% across the board cut, which would imply to the Defense Department. Now, I'd be happy pushing cuts on the Defense Department, but I can promise you a large block of our conference will not. So now you're in this kind of conundrum and box, which which increases pressure for an omnibus. So whoever's running for speaker is going to have to say, I'm fine with a 1% across the board cut. I will never put an omnibus on the floor. And therefore, that means you, Defense Hawks, you're going to eat a 1% cut. I'm not sure they're going to do that. So then you're left with, are we going to shut down over border, shut down over something else, or never shut down? If you're never going to shut down because you have a continuing resolution in place, then you're left with negotiating on Ukraine to get border, and we end up in the same circle. Again, we need leadership who are going to define a fight and that Republicans are willing to go up that hill knowing they could die. That's what that's what Democrats do. What they did with Obamacare. It's what they've done time and time again, in order to achieve their leftist objectives. Here's my closing thought on unity. I want unity on one thing. What on earth are you willing to put your election certificate on the line for, in defense of this country? Yes. That's the question. That's the unifying question. What answer is unified behind it? have the showdown, continue to pass the individual bills in the meantime with DOJ, HHS, all that stuff, but you got to pick what you're going to lead off with because otherwise you'll get zero. You know, we, we then, then the moderates will just do their thing. They already have proof of concept. They'll keep doing that. It's, it, I feel for you, Chip. It's threading the needle because I, I see you get it in both directions. You know, people who want... To, to not draft anything at now people that don't want to really even fight just just go with the automatic one percent and it's it's yeah i mean whatever it is it's got to be worked out uh, ahead of time otherwise um the parts of the party that we don't uh, agree with are going to continue rolling us keep us updated thanks for fighting us and and look i hope to see you out there in december um assuming you're not you're not in dc Yes, sir. God bless you, brother. Take care. Bye-bye. That was Chip Roy. A lot going on there. Um, I'll try to explain it again next week when it becomes more relevant. Uh, he was throwing in, you know, we didn't have enough time there. Uh, there's really three different strategies, I guess you would say, even on the the right, um, how to go about doing this, what's the best thing to win on, and, you know, what to do with the budget. And I, I tend to agree roughly within, like he said, the zip code of where he is, and particularly now, I think the arguments of um, kind of the, you know, my friend Andy Biggs and some of these others, 
you know, okay, so because that you got out McCarthy, but now you got him out, now you have a vacancy. Now for sure you can't pass them in time. So you have to be willing to unify behind something that will cause a shutdown, but it might not have everything in it. It won't become law anyway, and that will lead it off, lead to a shutdown, and then during that duration, continue passing the appropriate bill. I just think that's a better strategy to get to a shutdown versus just being strident in a way that no CR, then, then they'll just, I mean, they have plenty of votes to cut you out, and then you won't get any shutdown and anything, and then... You know, the other end, there's those that don't want to fight for any government shutdown. They just want to take the built-in 1% automatic cuts that kick in January 1st pursuant to the debt ceiling deal. And, you know, like he said, A, I don't think that's enough on the non-defense side to to deal with the Fourth Reich. And B, the defense hawks are going to wind up – we're not even going to get that in the end because there is such bipartisan support for that to, to plus up defense that – they would sooner have agreed to a temporary government shutdown than a permanent cut in defense. I'm just telling you, that's just a reality. We'll be cut out of that. But I, I just want to give you a sense of how your your head probably hurts after this show. This is just, even if you have people literally on the same side, this is what you're dealing with. And it's a cascading effect of how evil the left is and how crazy we're you know, beleaguered by so many things and then a lack of leadership, and then just so many people that really are not out for our best interests on the right, and you know, complicating things and everything. Um, but ultimately, you know, we got to fight for the best things, and ultimately, you know, the people who did push out McCarthy at this juncture, you know, they have a responsibility to pick one or the other, meaning either now give us time to fight the budget properly. Or give us time to get a good speaker, but don't rush to get a bad speaker, you know, just because you uh, you don't want to be blamed for breaking things. I mean, this is what we warned you about. Let's make this work. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you do it. I mean, I'm trying to do shuttle diplomacy myself. It's it's terrible how many of the best guys hate each other. But tomorrow I want to go back to some of our issues and what we can do at a local level uh, it's almost January. New legislative session. How do we protect medical freedom, bodily autonomy in the states? The things that we tried to do, but mainly in most states, did not get across last session. How do we do that? There's a new organization out focusing just on that. Uh, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com is the email. Till tomorrow, stay informed, stay in the fight. God bless you all, and thank you for listening. Thank you.